Packers Daily with Jason Mertides. And welcome to your Wednesday, August 5th edition of Flyers Daily with Jason Martinez, presented by Penn Medicine, the official health system of the Philadelphia Flyers and Wells Fargo Center. We're going to talk to Bill Meltzer in just a couple of minutes. Tuesday was a complete off day for the Flyers players. They get one off day per seven days during the return to play, and uh, that would be yesterday. Uh, today, back at practice, and we'll see if we can uh, derive from Elaine Vino and his after-practice availability uh, exactly how Joel Farabee will be inserted into this lineup. Uh, Michael Roth, of course, not available, suffered that injury in the game on Sunday over the Boston Bruins, the 4-1 to win. So we'll see how Elaine Vigneault decides to deploy Joel Farabee. I know uh, a really difficult situation, and we'll talk about this with Bill Meltzer, on where to put Farabee because as a skilled player, you like to put skilled players with, skilled player, with other skilled players, uh, but you don't want to move Scott Lawton back into the middle and kind of rearrange your fourth line, uh, with a with the exception of Michael Raffle, who's not available, considering two goals in the game came from that fourth line with Nate Thompson and Michael Raffle each scoring. Raffle also had an assist in that game, so that'll be interesting to see. It also be interesting to get Elaine Vino's thoughts on who his goaltender will be on Thursday, with the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Washington Capitals going to an overtime. Uh, the Caps, in the loss, still pick up a point. This is regular season rules. The two points goes to the Tampa Bay Lightning. So the order on the in the Eastern Conference right now for seeding is number one, Tampa, because they hold the tiebreaker over the Flyers with two points. The Flyers with two points. Washington Capitals with one. And the Boston Bruins uh, with none still. So still a lot up for grabs. I know Elaine Vigneault wants to get Brian Elliott into a game. Uh, we'll see if that is indeed the game tomorrow or if that's the final game of the round robin. Presumably, he will get one of them. And Brian Elliott's had a really good camp for the Flyers. He's looked really sharp. And being out at training camp uh, when it was in Voorhees at the Virtuous Skate Zone still, uh, he looked like he was really dialed in. His crease movements were very precise, very explosive. He looks as good as he's looked in the last couple of years since those surgeries a couple of summers ago. Uh, so Brian Elliott would not be a huge drop-off, obviously, from Carter Hart, who played a tremendous game. But then the other element of that is you want to keep your goaltender, Carter Hart, who performed so well in that game. You'd rather not have six days between starts from Sunday to this Saturday. Uh, you want him to get into that groove where he seemingly is after that game against the Boston Bruins. And to stay there, you want to get him in more game action. So a really interesting couple of decisions for Elaine Vino. Here's what we know, though. And if you've listened to this podcast throughout the pause and talking to all the players, the other coaches on this team, they all cite the same thing with Elaine Vino, and it's a tremendous ability to run the bench and feel. So he'll come up with the best solution. Uh, what that is remains to be seen, but we shall soon find out. Let's get to Bill Meltzer right now. You read his work on NHL.com, PhiladelphiaFlyers.com, and HockeyBuzz.com, and he joins us right now. Bill, how you doing? I'm doing great in, in hockey heaven here. You know, all, all these games every day, I'm, I'm loving it. Yeah, I'm, I've had to get, get the shock battles out a couple times for potential <laughs> overdose. And my wife is going, uh, are you still living here? <laughs> but, yeah, I'm down in the studio. I had to get a new TV. I wore out the new one already on hockey games. But uh, I want to start here first and foremost. Um, first of all, uh, we we find out that another round of tests, and now uh, I mean, an incredible amount of testing is being done, and still no positive tests. Um, for even me, the eternal optimist, Bill, when it comes to this, because I needed that just to be able to raise my head off a pillow every morning. Even I'm shocked at this point, considering, um, you know, 
I know they're north of the border right now, but still the fact remains is they're now a week plus inside the bubble. There was no positive test going into the bubble. This is just phenomenal news as it continues to to just kind of get better and better. Absolutely. You know, and... and 7,000 tests. <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. You know, and, and it's getting to, uh, you know, we're getting, getting to the point there where if somebody had been, you know, in, infected at the point they were coming in where, you know, sometimes it can take was 10 days, two weeks to... to uh, show up and test you know they're kind of be kind of being the clear from that as long as guys are doing what they should be doing in the bubble and it certainly seems to be that way you know this is uh see this through and see the problems that baseball continues to have like with the cardinals players of course before that the marlins it's uh yeah it's really you know it's pretty cool to see you know it's really uh it's a tip of the cap to the league and also to the to the players for you know for following the protocols you're absolutely right. And I think that second part is so true and something that doesn't get accentuated. Phase three, these players were still not bubbled. They were going home. They were uh, uh, apparently they were doing the right things. And the fact that the uh, the, the information comes out about the 7000 uh, negative tests, and no positives again, uh, takes out uh, the equation that a guy like Igor Shosturkin, who all of a sudden was not available. But because of the league's terminology, they deem that unfit to play. That is yeah. not a positive test. It was actually an injury. So. Uh, very interesting stuff. And uh, again, like you said, total tip of the cap to the league. Uh, they seemingly have thought of everything, including throwing a hat on the ice. When Connor McDavid got a hat trick, they had a designated person to throw a bucket on the ice. That's very cool. <laughs> well, they missed their opportunity earlier in the day when Schwetz got one, but uh, they made up for it. And they made sure if McDavid's getting the hattie, we got to put a hat on the ice. So we got to have somebody at Rogers Place ready to do it. Bill, uh, we're a couple days removed now from the Flyers' win over the Boston Bruins. Now that you've had a couple of days to chew on it, what are the couple of the big takeaways uh, from that 4-1 win over the Bruins on Sunday? Well, I think you have to start with Carter Hart. Um, you know, in the first 10 minutes of the game or so, I mean, the, you know, the Bruins had, I think, five of the first six shots, uh, eight of the first 11, something like that. You know, the first power play of the game, although that was really a turning point for the team, um, and, you know, Hart, when it could have gone a little sideways early on, he was outstanding. And then late in the game, it was far as already had that sewn up, but the Bruins had all kinds of scoring chances. I mean, you know, if not for a deflection off of, off of Robert Haig's skate, Carter probably would have had a shutout, um, you know, which also goes to show that there's a little bit of luck involved, you know, in, in getting or not getting a shutout. But, I mean, that's uh, that was that was a an important test obviously gets a fantastic team, a hundred point team that, that doesn't have its act together yet, but the flyers, you know, the flyers also played that well in the game. Um, it was really nice to see the, uh, Travis Sanheim and, um, Phil Myers pair step Oof. up in a big way. Really the whole defense, you know, yeah. the, the flyers first three goals, the defense had you know, a direct role in every one of them. The, uh, they, the keep that Sanheim made the beautiful pass to Michael Roffle for the first goal. Uh, the the entry that Ivan Provorov generated and started that sequence for the uh, uh, for the Nate Thompson goal and then then obviously Phil Myers answering right back with a beautiful shot right after you know, right after the, the lead was cut to two to one and, and just to see those guys stepping up not just not just the offensive contributions either just the uh, how aggressively they you know they're playing but also picking their spots well they're just you know they've been they've been everywhere on the ice and they. They, they've been excellent, you know, and not even also in the um, also in the exhibition game. And even, you know, even the later part of camp, you could really see the two of them stepping up. So, they're, you know, the top two pairings were, were excellent. The um, if, if you look at the 
the game inside the game between the Couturier line and the Bergeron line, the Couturier line dominated it. I mean, you know, it was it was Selkie winner against Selkie winner, and not only was the Bergeron line shut down, but particularly in the second and most of the third period, the Flyers were attacking that whole time. I mean, Boston was was hemmed in. Um, and it was you know, that was that was their top line, which is one of the best in the league. That that was great to see. Um, and ob- you know, obviously, also getting two goals from your fourth line, which you're not going to get a lot of nights, most nights, but you know, on, on that night they did, and. Um, you know, just showing that they have different lines that can step up on different nights. You know, I mean, there was there was a, there was a whole lot to like from that, a whole lot of positives they can build on. Um, you know, with that being said, it's, it's one game. It's uh, the players who are in it kind of kind of liking the, the intensity more to a, a stretch drive game than than playoff intensity, and I think that's that's a, that's a fair description. It's accurate. You you know, watching some of these. Um, qualification series it, it is at a whole other level of intensity it's the next step up and Flyers have a few games to get there but I mean in terms of how they set themselves up in that first game the progression from camp to the exhibition to the first game of the round robin I mean it's uh you know there's there's not a lot of negative there other than than Michael Roffle going down it's been uh you know really good to see so far yeah, I, I want to start where you started because that th- my biggest takeaway was Carter Hart as well. And it wasn't necessarily Bill, the, the 34 saves on 35 shots. Um, to me, the biggest takeaway from the game, the 34 saves on 35 shots is really good, obviously. But the biggest takeaway for me is the manner in which he did it. Um, the calmness with which he displayed, he was never frazzled. His movements were efficient. He was tight. He was not overplaying pucks. We're talking about a 21-year-old goaltender in his first Stanley Cup playoff game, albeit a round-robin game, still nonetheless, against the top team in the NHL's regular season, the perfection line with Bergeron, Marchand, and David Pasternak, who scored 48 goals this year. And he looked like his heart rate never went over 71 beats per minute. To me, I'm stunned by it that that's the 21-year-old goaltender. Oh, absolutely. As you were saying, the the economy of motion, how well he was tracking pucks. There was, and I think it was oh. Bergeron had the deflection. It was a really tough deflection. Oh, the high he, tip, yeah, 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 the high tip. And and he, uh, you know, and he just he tracked it perfectly. I mean, he made it. He made it look. He made a very difficult save look very easy. Yeah. Um. You know, and he was doing that all game. He, he was he was in perfect position. He wasn't lunging. He wasn't guessing. You know, as you said, I mean, everything everything he was right on the whole the whole game, and that. Uh, you know, for a 21-year-old in his first ever postseason game, I mean, that's uh, that's something special. Yeah, it's almost ridiculous. Like, um, you, you know, to, <laughs> for, as a goaltender and goalies, the kind of the term we use is he was quiet in his crease, and yeah. he he was very quiet in his crease that night. And you're right, like that tip. There was another high tip opportunity that he ended up swallowing into his logo. And you look at those and go, well, he doesn't look like he makes great saves. Well, that's because he's in the right spot, and pucks are hitting him in the logo because he gets there square. And uh, it was a tremendous performance. Um, I got to ask you about the pairing of uh, Phil Myers and Travis Sanheim. You just alluded to it a couple minutes ago, uh, Sanheim. What a great feed to Michael Roffel for the opening goal. Um, I've, I, I said this to Phil Myers as well. Uh, I've known that Phil has a very hard and heavy slap shot, but I didn't know he had that shot in the bag because that was an absolute snapshot snipe over across his body and across to the far side corner over Yara Holak's blocker. I didn't know he had that, Bill. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's a, that's a special. I, I'm like, Phil, no disrespect, but I didn't know you had that in the bag. I wasn't yeah. expecting that. 
Yeah, no, uh, you know, I, it's funny. I thought back to when he had that three-game goal streak early mm-hmm. this season, and um, he, he had one that wasn't exactly like that. I mean, there no goalie in the world was stopping that one. There was just oh. that was you know you talk about an unstoppable shot. You know, sometimes you you know you look where where the guy shot it from, what the, the guy's angle on it is. It doesn't matter. That was a perfect shot, and and it was you know, I mean, he got rid of it quickly. It was a, a tracer. I mean, that was that was gorgeous. I don't, you know, I mean. The, you know, obviously he's not going to do that every game, but that, uh, yeah, that that he has that he has that ability to do that in his arsenal. That was that was mighty impressive, you know. Oh. And um, and also, I mean, in the bigger picture with uh, with Phil, and also you know, also with Travis. Um, actually, we did an article on it yesterday on the, on the Flyers website. You know, they're 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 getting the benefits now from the process of their development. You know, with, when um, Travis first came up, I mean, you know, he he would have some issues with with gaps. You know, and and sometimes he would. Uh, give a guy too much time and space or you know he'd face a, a heavy four check and and he might turn a puck over or he'd just hold it you know, hold an extra second he's big and strong enough to protect it a little bit better you know and he worked at it worked at it and worked at it and he got better and better and better and same thing with phil picking his spots because sometimes you know phil being as big and, and well as he skates would get out of position a little bit sometimes a little too far and you know again it was it was watching a lot of video it was working with his coaches and just um you know, keeping at it, keeping at it, keeping at it, and you know, getting a vote of confidence from the coaches, and really that started, I would say, in the second half of last year with uh, with Scott Gordon, and then um, continued and accelerated this year. Look at the opportunity that Travis Sanheim has had this year for the first time in the NHL to be a penalty killer, and he's thrived in. It. You know, it, it's uh, so you know, it, it's a tip of the cap to the coaches, but it's really a tip of the cap to those two guys for all the work that they they put in because it's one thing to have the raw materials. You know, uh, be be a great athlete, have the size, have the skating ability. It's quite another thing to learn how to harness that and be coachable enough to realize, you know, it's it's a whole different game at the NHL level, the, the pacing of it and the caliber of players that you're against, and to you know to to get to the level that they are and to to do that at 23, 24 years old, where they're really they're they're established players at this point. And now Phil's still in his first full NHL year, but at this point. He's not worried if he makes a mistake. It's coming out of the lineup. I mean, there's, you know, that's been that's added a whole other dimension to the Flyers, both in their ability to join the attack, but just in having, you know, having big, rangy, skilled defensemen like that is, um, you know, it's what what's part of part of uh, the piece of the puzzles that uh, you know made the Flyers, you know, a, a very good team and what should be a good team for for some time. Yeah, I mean, I, I look at the stat sheet and I see that the, the guy who led the Flyers in shots on goal was Phil Myers, and I remember. Uh, you know, and he's bombing pucks at the net the entire game. Travis Sanheim, three shots on goal, had an yep. assist. Phil had the goal. Um, and, and each of those defensemen, a plus three on the game. And I remember what, what Lane Vigneault said just a couple of days ago, uh, simple is better. And and that's that's a real simple philosophy. Get pucks to the net, get bodies to the net, and you shall be rewarded. And, and you saw that on display. Um, I want to read this tweet to you because I, I saw that uh, Charlie O'Connor from The Athletic who covers the Flyers tweet this out. I, I want to get your thoughts on it because he's so dead on. He just said, uh, this was on August 2nd, the day, day after the game, or the day of the game, but later in the day. And he said, he said, remember how the last few seasons before this year, the Flyers always seemed to look their worst when the maximum number of casual hockey fans in the region were paying attention to them. And he, then he says, yeah, that's not the case anymore. Get on board, gang. There's something special brewing here. And he just alluded to a 23- and 24-year-old, Sanheim and Myers. Um, you, you look at... Carter Hart, a 21-year-old goaltender who's got special written all over him. You have Travis Konechny, who was an all-star and led the team in goals. Um, I mean, Lindblom and Patrick, if they're able to both come back and be the players that we hope they'll be, and 
Ivan Provorov. I mean, the list goes on and on from the Zamula to Cam York. But, Bill, I mean, there's something special happening here, isn't it? There is. You know, you, you can you, you can't really put it into words. It's more 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 of a feeling. But you watch a team that has, you know, the the last Flyers team that that I think had this, you know, that, that what this team has, and they you know they, they don't have. I mean, this team doesn't have a Lindros. They don't have a Legion of Doom. But it reminds me a little of that ninety four ninety five team, where you felt they've arrived. Now that team got to a conference final and got, you know, uh, two wins short of the Stanley Cup Finals. But there were there was a feeling with that team that uh, they turned a corner after a long period of time and they were going to be good for quite a long time and they had a they had a you know a young a group of young players there coming into their own and, and whatnot too um added some key pieces and and voila you know they were contenders for the next five six seven years i i think that uh you know you don't go necessarily this long term in today's nhl there's much more parity and whatever but i get that same feeling where you look at this group of players that are, are that are you know as you're saying guys in their early 20s and they've added some experience around them um, you know, and you go, you go year to year, but I, but I think that what you're seeing is for real. And then, you know, yeah, you, you do get the casual fans watching during the postseason. And, you know, if, if they weren't watching all year, I, I think it's fair to say, well, you know, you, I think you're going to, I think you're going to enjoy the, this run here and, you know, who, who, who knows how far it leads, but this is, again, this is going to be a team that's going to be in that hunt, I think for quite a few years to come. The other element of that too, Bill, is this for me. Um, not only I, I wrote, like, I feel like something special is happening and, and look, I know I'm a hockey honk and I'm known that way in the Philadelphia media or sports talk, whatever, whatever you want to call it. I don't give a damn. Um, and I've flown the flag for a long time and, and caught a lot of crap for it when it wasn't trendy to do so. And maybe it is now. And I welcome everybody to the bandwagon, but here's the other element of it that, that to me is even makes it even better is that the brand of hockey they play, the personality of the group of players and the coaching staff. They just seem so much more likable to the masses right now. And winning will do that. I understand that. But they play an exciting brand of hockey. People love this head coach, and they should. And you have character guys uh, and, and guys that you know younger generations can, can kind of identify with, with guys like, Pat, uh, like Travis Konechny, who can chirp with the best of them. There's just, they seem to check so many boxes of entertainment, sports, and competitiveness that it's something that is rare that they all kind of come together. And the last time probably is that, that, that mid nineties to 2000 flyers team with Lindros and LeClaire and, you know, the, that whole cast of characters. Oh, definitely. You know, I mean, this team, this team, as, as you said, there's, there's a lot of, you know, character and characters on the team too. So yeah. that, that definitely helps. And Hayes, know, I mean, geez, I forgot Hayes. Oh, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Well, I was, yeah. I mean, Hayes is, you know, yeah. And Hayes, you know, they, they keep each other loose. You know, they, they chirp a lot and, you know, they get on their other team's skin, but it also, it also keeps everybody, you know, plugged in, you know, it's, uh, I mean, I can also say, and, and, uh, you know, before the pandemic, but going to the locker room every day, you know, there was, there was a certain atmosphere in there where, you know, it, it, um, and, and I mean, really it was really was kind of all season. I guess you take it back to November when the Flyers had the best record in the league for that month. But you could kind of sense that there was a group that uh, pushed each other in a positive way. They they get along as a group, but they also they also have expectations for each other, you know. And it's uh, you know those are those are those dynamic atmospheres that, that you know it makes it fun for the guys that come to the rink. It also makes 
it also makes it you know fun for those of us who cover the team because you you know it's a it's a it's a fun group to interact with and it's uh you know i i think that that enthusiasm they bring um they they take it to the ice with them but i also think that on a day in and day out basis that it's uh you know the, again a, a team that i think fans can philadelphia fans in particular like to get behind you know you have you have guys in there like a, like a Scott Lawton who's been in this organization a long time now. And, um, you know, it, it was a, a long road for Scott and, and you see it paying some dividends. I mean, for me, I've all, I always have a, a soft spot for anyone who's homegrown within the, in the organization, just because you see the whole process, you know, from their, from their first development camp on, on through. And that's the other thing too. I mean, obviously there, there are some players brought in from the outside, but there's a lot of guys who, Either came here very young as players, like like a Dave Voracek was only a couple of years into his career when he came here, and many of the others have been here their entire career to date. So you know, even like Claude Giroux has been here his whole career, and you know, Couturier of course was drafted here, and it's it's something where to me that to me that 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 adds to something a little bit more special to it as well, where you know the guys who were who came up through the system here and and you know they they blossom from prospect into pros and and. Um, you know, the, to me, to me, that's always a you know a really exciting thing to see. No doubt about it, uh, Bill. Who goes into the lineup for? Um, uh, it looks like Joel Farabee's going to go in for Michael Raffle. Uh, but where does he go in the lineup? Uh, he's not a guy that you know putting him on the fourth line necessarily lends to his skill set. He's a skilled player that needs to play with skill. How do they? How do they kind of manipulate this situation? That's a that's a really good question, Jason. You know, I I, I think that they don't want to touch. The, the Hayes line right now. As uh, well, I, they shouldn't. <laughs> yeah. And, and so you don't move Scott Lawn out of there. You don't move him back to center right now. And certainly Nate Thompson deserves to stay in the lineup. And, you know, all, uh, all Derek Grant did the other day was when he had 11 faceoffs in the third line role, you know, so you're not, you're not touching him either. So Lawton's going to stay on wing, you know? Okay. So JVR, who was uh, challenged a little bit by, uh, by Elaine Vigneault yesterday, not, you know, not in a bad way, but he said that he had a pretty good camp, but he expects to see a little bit more than he's seen in the other two games. You're not pulling him from the lineup, you know, and I think he stays in that third line spot. So that's a really good question because really the only spot that, that's open is Raffle's spot right now. And I don't, you know, I don't think, I don't think you're going to see, um, you know, uh, Abe Kubel come out either. And besides Farabee, you know, he's never, hasn't really played the right side. So I, I don't know. I, I guess that they'll, keep them on right wing and see how that goes. Uh, and to me, the other decision, Jason, you know, that, that also intrigues me going into these, these other two round robin games, you're going to want to get um, Brian Elliott to start. Yeah. I, I think in one of these three, which is the right game to give him. Uh, I, I think Carter Hart, you have to roll with him again after the, the way he played on, on Sunday. And then, you know, the Flyers don't play again until Saturday. So I don't want to, I don't want him sitting all those days, you know, without a game. Um, then again, if you're in a situation where you're playing, you know, for, for a seed in that third game, I mean, maybe you, you know, you're, you're going to have to get Elliot to start in there. So I'm not sure which is the right game to give Elliot, especially because he did come up with not one, but two, two wins against uh, the Capitals this year. So, you know, I, my gut tells me that, that Elliot goes against Tampa Bay and they, they roll with Carter Hart again, but you know, I'm sure AV will have something to say, say about that after practice. Yeah, it'd be very interesting. That's an interesting decision. Do you ensure, you know, put Harden there to try and ensure not being a four seed, therefore trying to elude, uh, presumably, the Penguins if they are able to get by uh, the Montreal Canadiens that series tied at one? Or do, do you go with Moose in the middle? But um, he's been he's had a really good camp. I don't think I would feel uh, 
you know, I would be fine with with uh, Brian Elliott going in that second game. I, I don't think I would be afraid of that at all. All things no, and, considered, and, yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's yeah, he's won a lot of a lot of good games, a lot of tough games for the team. He was you know, on the road particularly. You no, know, everything is kind of a neutral site right now, but. You know, but nonetheless, whenever they've needed Brian Elliott, he's stepped up this year, and that's the point. Yeah, and the other thing, too, is you're right. I don't like going six days between a game when I know my goalie's grooving a little bit. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's the other thing. Like, he's feeling it right now. Carter Hart is, and I just want to, you know, you just want to have pra- one day practice, next day game. One day practice, next day game. Let him ride the wave like a nice big, like dropping in on a nice big wave in uh, in Honolulu. At Pipeline Masters or something. I know that's probably <laughs> <That's> right. <laughs> um, any of the uh, series shock you so far? Carey Price has been off the charts. Um, he got a win for his efforts uh, in overtime in the first one. Uh, was equally as good in game two, but they ended up losing. Just couldn't provide enough offense uh, against the Pittsburgh Penguins the, for the Canadians. But anything uh, really jumping out you in the in the play-in round so far? Well, I, I wasn't expecting Chicago to win their first game. Um, you know, and I mean, the, they've been... They've been they've been good series, you know. You're not a you know we we were treated to a game where the winner was scored with point one left on the clock. I mean that's uh, you know that that's pretty rare and special. And you know I I think that it's been I, I expect a little bit more from the Rangers. I know they're switching goalies tonight, um, you know. But I, I thought the Rangers would would give a little tougher series. I didn't expect the Rangers to win. I think Carolina's the better team, except except for the question marks in there. But even there, you know, Mrazek's played well. I didn't. But I, I expect it to be a little bit closer. I, I think that Carolina's been a much better team in that series, and uh, yeah, I, I expect a little bit better out of them. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't say again so much in terms of surprises. I, I guess I wasn't figuring Pittsburgh would drop their first game, but you know, I mean, especially after after how bad Montreal looked in their exhibition, they didn't look like a team that was confident they were going to be able to do much of anything. Uh, the second game went a little bit more, I guess, as you would expect it to go. But um, yeah, I, I would say that. Um, yeah, you know, I would also say that uh, you know, Toronto getting getting shut out in their first game. I certainly wasn't expecting that. You know, I, I, the, the the complexion that series is taking on looks looks to me more and more like you know when Tortorella was was with the Rangers and everything was a game to one. You know, if, if the Rangers got up one nothing, you probably were going to not come back on them. But if you if you got if you scored first in the Rangers. Then they struggled to beat you, and ultimately that's kind of you know where some of Tortorella's teams in New York fell short. I'm kind of getting a little bit of that vibe with Columbus, where if the Blue Jackets would have scored first today. I, of course, they spent most of the game in their own end of the ice, especially in that second period. But um, you know, but my feeling is that that's how that rest of that series is going to go. If if Columbus gets ahead on, on Toronto next game or game after that, then I think Columbus can take out Toronto. Um, you know, but if they're if they're playing from behind, I, I think Toronto will pull through it. Yeah, I, I have Columbus in that series, but then again, I picked the Rangers. So what the hell do I know? Uh, <laughs> uh, but but we'll see how that plays out. Carolina has been a, really a team that I undervalued as well, but um, strong defensive teams have, have performed pretty well so far. Uh, Bill, last thing for you: um, looking at the intensity of this game, a lot of people thought. Well, if there's no fans, then, you know, players all of a sudden are not going to know how to ratchet up intensity because they can't feed off a crowd. Um, three minutes into the first game that was being played overall, I see Justin Williams dropping the mitts and chucking nucks. I see multiple huge hits in games and guys battling really hard and, and, and several scraps, which we usually don't see in the playoffs, especially in a best of five. Yeah. Um, 
not that we've seen that since the eighties, but you know, it, it's not something you want to do to put your team in a disadvantage or disadvantageous spot, but I've seen a lot of physical play. And to me, the quality of product, I don't see, I don't have a side-by-side comparison because I'm not watching games from last year players playoffs right next to it. Um, but to me, it looks like playoff hockey. Oh, absolutely. And in, in terms of the intensity level, honestly, I, I expected that once, you know, once you got into the qualification series, at least, you know, these guys, these guys came back that to go through a training camp, you know, they, they quarantined themselves. They, you know, and without, without knowing obviously if they, you know, he was going to be a phase three and a phase four, mm-hmm. you know, and, and there's just, there's just so much, a a level of, of pride and competitiveness in, uh, in these guys just by nature. You know, listen, and it's it just it's just hockey in general. I mean, you you'll sometimes see tournament games or or whatever where there's not a lot of people in the stands. Now, mind you, there's no people in the stands here, but but you've seen sparsely attended games where you know they're the intensity picks up. It's just a little bit a little bit harder to to motivate. You know, when you're you know when I I it, to me it would be much harder if you go into a season and there's no fans there, and then you don't have the you know there's there's a certain there's a certain drive in, in a playoff series in a regular season marathon i i think that's how you would feel it with nobody in the stands where it's you know like okay we're you know we're in the middle of november december whatever and there's nobody in the stands i think that's where you would see a you know a definite a definite low intensity you know but i, I for the playoffs you know for the playoffs they just have so much at stake and so much to play for so that that aspect doesn't really surprise me i what has surprised me is you know generally in how outstanding of condition players are and, and that even things like the, the passing that was clearly a little bit off at, at first, that, that's getting mighty close. You know, it, it's maybe, you know, maybe it's not absolute peak for every team, but I, I think it's, you know, it's highly entertaining and, and you're starting to see, you know, some of those plays connect too. So, you know, as I said, it's been, it's been a great product. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, no doubt about it. Well, we're enjoying it. We're soaking it all in. We God knows we waited long enough for it. So we might as well, feast on it right now which we're all doing hey bill thanks for doing this we'll be checking in soon and uh, uh flyers next game will be at four o'clock on thursday and um, we'll be checking out everybody's uh, impressions of that one as well thanks for doing this all right, man. thanks to bill Meltzer for joining us on this episode of flyers daily tomorrow another game day edition four o'clock game as the flyers round robin will continue and tomorrow they'll try and pick up another couple of points against the washington Capitals. so they went three oh and one against this regular season and held alexander ovechkin to zero points in those four games. Truly impressive. We'll see if they can keep that streak going as well and hand the Capitals their second loss, even though they have a loser point, hand them their second loss in the round robin. And if the Flyers can do that, they certainly will move up in the playoff seating in the Eastern Conference. It's going to put a wrap on this episode of Flyers Daily, which is presented by Penn Medicine, the official health system of the Philadelphia Flyers and Wells Fargo Center. Supporting our Flyers, Penn Orthopedics creates the ideal care plan with treatment options fueled by our own world-renowned research doing what once seemed impossible so you can too. Another reason why your life is worth Penn Medicine. Learn more at penmedicine.org slash ortho and give them a follow on Twitter at Penn Medicine. We'll talk to you on tomorrow's game day episode of Flyers Daily. I can't feed all the powerless when my cup's already